Good health is a crown worn by the healthy that only the ill can see. Your health really is your wealth. Join us for the next hour as we explore disease and attaining and maintaining good health. This is Dischem Medical Monday, brought to you by Dischem, pharmacists who care. And good morning to you. My name is Kathy Kayla. Thank you so much for joining me. For the next hour, I'm going to be your host of the Dischem Medical Monday show. Now, let me just tell you that in this space, we talk about health, we talk about the human body, we talk about procedures, we talk about optimizing our lives. And uh, thank you so much to Dischem for making, well, for making this possible. Today I'm talking about something that I don't relate to on a personal level, but I certainly relate to on a level as a mother of a boy. Because uh, if you don't know, Jews are required to circumcise. We are required to uh, circumcise our babies on the eighth day. Uh, not our babies, our baby boys. And uh, that is called a Brit Miller. It is uh, since the time of Abraham. And uh, it's not only a religious procedure, though. It is also circumcision is, um, I think that more and more, firstly, it's very, very controversial. Secondly, I'm seeing a lot of young South African men, or I'm hearing about it rather, um, circumcising themselves. There's a whole lot of research behind it. I thought, let's talk circumcision. Let's just go there. So I've invited into studio Dr. Dean Gerson. He's actually an ENT. Now, completely different part of the body. So how is it that an ENT gets to be doing circumcision? And good morning to you. Good morning, Kathy. Thank you for having me. Good morning to your listeners. So I might call me an ENTP if uh, <laughs> you're going to go with the uh, acronyms. Okay. All right. Okay. Um <laughs> But uh, how did I get into circumcision as an ENT? Actually, before you do any um, surgical specialty, like plastic surgery, ENT, neurosurgery, orthopedics, you have to do a year and a half of general surgery, and you have to write the general surgical exams, and then you have then once you're there, you go branch into your surgical specialty. So before I did ENT, I did general surgery, and as part of uh, some general surgery and a bit of uh, urology, I was doing circumcisions at the hospital I worked at. And uh, mainly on adults, a few little children. And uh, after discuss- having a discussion with my wife, I thought to myself, well, I'm doing this in my mundane medical life. Why not add some uh, kadusha to the procedure and uh, learn bris miller? And uh, one day we spent um, Shabbos in Santon. And uh, Rabbi Sushard, who was my teacher, was there. And my wife said, why don't you ask him to teach you bris miller? And uh, this was... Eight years ago, and he taught me Bris Miller. And as part of my learning Bris Miller, I used to go on Fridays to Baraguanath. I used to have a pediatric surgery list there of um, doing circumcisions on uh, little boys. And that's where I'd go um, when I could, Friday mornings, and I would learn how to do circumcisions. And uh, so, yeah, I was doing circumcisions long before I was um, doing ENT. And... Um, Actually, yeah, my first bris that I actually did was um, this month, eight years ago. All right, let's start off with definitions. Yes. How would you define circumcision? Okay, so can we can we speak first? Just what's okay? What is, I'll say. What is a circumcision? Let's do that, and then a, I want to ask you the difference between the circumcision and bris. Great. Yes. Okay, so <laughs> simply, circumcision is removing the foreskin of the penis. As we know, the head or the glans penis, which is the medical medical term, um, is 
yeah, children are born with the foreskin and that covers the glans penis. And that the procedure of removing that is called a circumcision. It can be done in many different ways. Obviously, there's medical, many different medical ways, and then there's the halachic way, which we do it in uh, Judaism, which is also a surgical way where we use a blade to remove the the foreskin. And there are other methods um, where people use rel- uh, various clamps or devices to cut off the circulation to the foreskin. They sometimes even use these bells and string that you okay. that you tie around and it it dies off at home and falls off by itself pretty gross but uh, My eyes ve- are very popular at the yeah yeah i can imagine all the men that may listen yeah to that, I, I just i just heard i'm sure i heard a scream somewhere yeah yeah <laughs> okay let's um just what is the difference between a bris miller yes which is the jewish ritual circumcision, circumcision. on the eighth day and general surgical or okay. non-Jewish. Okay. So medi- yeah, medical circumcision. circumcision. Okay. So a few things. First of all, the person doing it. So a person who does a bris has to be a qualified moil. What does a qualified moil mean? It means that they have to be a shomer, tomer, mitzvah person, a person who you keep know, Shabbos, keeps Shabbos and, and, keep keeps, and, keep, and keeps the mitzvah. They have to have learnt all the halachas, all the laws of bris milah. How many are there? Um... I mean, just Ballpark. There's a lot. Um, I don't know. 50, 50, 50, 50, yeah. But the, there's a lot laws. of different situations because there's the actual practical laws of taking the foreskin off the procedure. And then there's the laws of the baby of uh, when he's born, how he's born, what day he's born. Is it a breast on Shabbos? Is it a breast on a fast day? Is the baby sick? Is he well? You know, you, um, the procedure, the blessings, the naming afterwards, is the father Jewish, is the mother Jewish, is the child and mum. So there's... Would, the, would those things make a difference to how you breast? So n- not the actual procedure, but when the proce- when and where the procedure is done, all those things. So it's the things kind of surrounding the procedure. Yeah. But the actual procedure is quite short in the laws. Why is it quite short? Because it's something that has to be learned. So you have to do shimush or almost... Uh, what's a good word for shimush? You have to... Be an understudy. You have to go around with the teacher. They have to show you practically what to do. You can read as many books as you as you want, but you have to spend time with a, a teacher. I spent a year with Rabbi Sushard going to various brisim, and then I went to Israel, and I spent three months with different two different moalim, and would go every single morning because every child has a different penis. Some mm. are smaller, some are bigger, some have different shapes, believe it or not, and some bleed less. Some bleed more, you know, and uh, some, I don't know, heal, heal in different ways. So it's all about the, the shimush, your experience of being an apprentice. And once your teacher feels that you are competent at being an apprentice, then you can uh, do in front of them. I had the advantage, though, that coming into learning Brismilla, I'd already done a lot of um, medical circumcision, so I was comfortable with the anatomy. Okay, so what what's the actual procedure of Brismilla? So... The foreskin has to be removed on the eighth day, okay? There is a certain amount of foreskin that has to be removed. Medical circumcision doesn't require um, a specific amount, amount, which often becomes a problem then later on in life or when people are converting to Judaism might say, oh, I've already had a circumcision, but there's still too much left on. So the the doctor who's doing it or the ritual circumcision provider, non-Jewish, will take off as much as he sees uh, what looks, you know, beauties in the eye of the beholder, whatever he thinks uh, looks good. We have to take off 
um, a certain amount of the foreskin so that the entire glance, the head of the penis, is revealed. It needs to be revealed. And if there's a little amount going around the edges horizontally or vertically, the majority of the head of the penis, that circumcision or breath, that breast is invalid and you have to redo it. So there's a certain amount that's very important. That's the first part of circumcision, which is called the miller or the removal of the foreskin. Underneath the foreskin, there's a very soft membrane, which is adherent to the penis. It's called the orha prea, or the um, visceral prepus is the medical term. And the second part of breast miller is that that membrane has to be uh, uh, either torn or pushed back. Um, so again, the head of the penis is revealed. That's probably the, one of the most difficult steps learning in breast miller. This is often done, sounds quite weird, with the moyles nails or with the scissors. Okay. Um, and that's pushed back. And the third part is drawing blood from the wound, which is called mitzitza. And that's probably the most controversial part of Brismilla, how the blood is drawn from the, from the wound. Okay. So let's, let's just go back. Firstly, you talk about this membrane. Yes. Right, that gets pushed back. Yes, yes. So, so the foreskin so has been removed and then there's this yes, membrane. So how do we remove, how do we remove What the, happens to it? Does it just, okay. does it just go back into okay. the body during yeah. the healing process? Okay. So that, so it's, it's a very thin membrane and that membrane will eventually turn to, um, Ex- normal external skin. So it's a very um, hard skill learning how much of that membrane to leave on or to leave off if excess membrane needs to be trimmed or not. So there's a balance between a kosher bris that is um, a kosher bris that looks beautiful, a kosher bris that says kosher. My, one of my friends' teachers described it as when you go to buy etrogim on, on Sukkot, you can buy a $10 etrog, but it's still kosher. It doesn't look beautiful. You can buy a $200 etrog, which is, you know, it looks like a beautiful etrog. They're both kosher etrogs at the end of the day. The one is the $200 etrog just looks much more beautiful. And it's, it's, I'll tell you the, the biggest complaint that I've got from my own brisim and from other people's brisim and in general, I mean, it's not like a medical plan, is the, the way that membrane heals, how it looks. If you leave too much of that membrane on, it can almost roll forward and look like, do you know what a stramel is? You know those big furry hats? Big, f- yeah. Yeah. So it looks they call like a hat box. It, yeah. So they look like a strimal. Yeah. It's like almost this like turtleneck that comes, that comes forward and, and covers a bit of it. And that, it's still a kosher bris, but often people complain that, uh, that's how it looks. Often when the boys turn 13 and they, they, um, reach puberty and the penis grows, that membrane will stretch out. So most of the time you just need to tell the parents, listen, this is going to happen. That membrane is a very angry skin. It can swell. It can roll forward, but don't worry. It's all cosmetic, and when they turn 13, that it will come back. And that was one of the biggest learning curves for me. Yeah, it gets so sorted it, out it, it stretch, naturally. It, stretched out, it stretches out naturally, yeah. Sometimes, um, if it's quite a small penis, it can stay for um, just to make a cosmetic defect that you have a bit of rolls, they roll down. Um, but um, that can, And then that can be sorted if it's bothering the patient or the parents. But most of the time, I'll tell them to wait until they're 13. See um, when the penis grows if the child's bothered by it. Okay. At all. I'm speaking to Dr. Dean Gerson, and we are talking about circumcision, and we are talking about the difference between circumcision and the Jewish ritual circumcision. If you've got any questions, we'd love to hear from you, or any comments, you're welcome to. And if you want to be anonymous, just sign it anonymous, or just put it in somebody else's name. <laughs> Tribute it to somebody you don't like if it's a really. 
awkward, awkward question. question. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how do you get in touch? 34519, that's a text line. You can also send a telegram message on 061-895-1019. Just a reminder that from the 1st of August, Chai FM will no longer be supporting telegram. We have got divorced from telegram. So, what's, tele- uh, what's Telegram? Telegram. Yeah. I mean, not from Telegram, from WhatsApp. Oh, okay. We've, we've yeah, we've got divorced from uh, WhatsApp. Telegram okay. is a very, very secure. It's more secure than, than WhatsApp, WhatsApp. Okay. And it's also free and works the same way. Uh, okay, fine. Lots and lots of people use it. Hashtag Ask ISIS. Okay, so uh, <laughs> Jonathan H. He's weighing in and he says, "Hi, Kathy. Doctor G. Doctor Dean is a legend." Isn't that nice? That's very nice. Thanks That's not Jonathan all H. awkward at all, which is why he signed his name. So. Back to uh, talking about circumcision. Yes. What happens if during the breast mm. while you are removing the foreskin, yes. you damage that membrane underneath? Is okay, it still so the me- Yeah, yeah. So the membrane, it doesn't matter if you... So that membrane is... Actually, are you supposed to remove the whole yes, membrane? But, well, yes. Okay. So it's very hard to show without a drawing, okay, to, to the listeners. But um, imagine that uh, you're... Imagine s- a mushroom. No. Ima- okay. Okay. <laughs> Imagine you could. Okay, imagine the sleeve of your jacket. Okay, it's yes. got an outside and an inside. Okay, look at my jacket. So yes. the outside is the foreskin yes. and the inside is that membrane. Okay, oh. so it's almost two layers of the same skin. The outside is the external, is the aura aura, which is the external foreskin skin. And the inside is aura prea, which is that membrane. Once you've taken off the um, outer Membra- the outer skin You need to remove that inner skin Ideally halakhically it should be Torn and pushed back But you can then cut around okay, To make it look cosmetically pleasing So it doesn't matter if it gets damaged It's meant to be, it's meant to be do cut Do you discuss this with parents before you do the breast? Um, Whether yeah, well, they want it to be Cosmetically pleasing No, well, I would imagine that every model endeavors to Make the breast I'll say three things after I do a breast to the parents I'll say I make sure that I want it to be Medically perfect, halachically perfect, and cosmetically perfect. Those are my three goals of a of a circumcision. Okay. Some people will ask the fine nitty gritty, and I'm happy to discuss it with them. A lot of people, it's very scary and it freaks them out. And um, when you just tell them that I'm going to look after your child, will be medically, halachically, and cosmetically perfect afterwards. Yeah. Okay. So, what is the? Let's talk about just. All right. You talk. You spoke about the different. Um, Parts of yes. the brismilla. So one is removing the foreskin. The, the second, second is the removal or the folding back of the membrane. Right. Yeah. And the third one is called mitzitza. Yeah, mitzitza yes. is the one that every breast. There's someone who runs up to me and says, "Is it, yeah, uh, Rabbi, Doctor? <laughs> is it true that you actually have to suck the blood from the wound? You know, or, Rabbi, how did you? Oh my God, I can't believe it. You have to suck the blood from the <laughs> from a wound. My friends tell me that, and I don't believe them. And Tell me it isn't true. Okay, so it's a very, very controversial thing, as you can imagine, to try and get your, your mind around it. Okay, let's just put this in context. Yes. We are a people. Yes. We are not even allowed to eat the blood in a chicken. Yes. So in this, a chicken egg. Yes. So. This is where the blood, this is where the blood, this do is you, where, you don't, no, you don't eat the blood. Okay, so the, this is where the blood, a lot of the blood libels come from, because imagine you could see, look like the moil is drinking blood from a, a baby. So. The the halacha says that there is a sakana, a danger to the baby, if you do not cleanse the wound. How does the wound have to be cleansed? It has to be cleansed with suction. And the flow of we blood. can imagine where does the suction come from. That comes from the mouth. Okay. So you can imagine for the people who are against Judaism or against circumcision, this gives them a lot of fuel to kind of um, unite fires with. 
Okay, so we don't know what that Sakana is. We don't know if it exists anymore, what, if that danger exists anymore, but we still follow our religion and what our sages have taught us, that there are three parts, the Mila, the Priya, and the Matitsa, which is the, the drawing of the blood. I try to liken it to bloodletting. Do you remember in the old days they used to bloodlet? I'm not that old, Dean. Okay. That I remember bloodletting. Okay, bloodletting. Okay, so before, <laughs> before your time, <laughs> medieval times, I don't know, there was bloodletting. But almost cleansing the wound with the blood, maybe there was a rusty knife, maybe, we don't know what this kind of danger was, but we knew that we had to cleanse this wound. Okay, so then came around, um, in the terms of, times of the Enlightenment in Germany, people were saying, no, you don't need to do this because there's no danger anymore. And they'll say, okay, we can do something as a kind of remembrance to it. So people were saying, well, can we use, kind of like hand suctions or sponges or anything like that. but Which or, is not an unreasonable question. Yeah, yeah. So so there were rabbis who permitted it, but in the Orthodox world they were kind of shot down and uh, said that it, the suction still has to come from the mouth. So the most lenient opinion to still fulfill the mitzvah is that we use a pipette. You know what a pipette is? Like a glass tube. Yes. You put it over the penis and then you suck the blood and the blood goes, you suck the pipette and the blood goes into the tube. Okay. okay, so that fulfills a lot of the That's criteria. That's not unreasonable. Yep, so that is clean for the more clean for the baby, and um, and uh, halakhically acceptable. I imagine that that must also be, I mean, that must be quite a, sure, controversial for so many no, different reasons. No, it is. For some, you can imagine, you can imagine the spin on it. But it can so, be a real danger So first of all, the David to the baby, because they have tried to trace back babies who have got herpes from the moil's mouth, um, you know, from cold sores or fever blisters. Yeah. And um, so they have tried to trace it before. So then, you know, there are guidelines at Albaistin and in Israel, the Rabbanut, and in America about if the moil is sick, what does he do? You know, that he should use this tube then or should he use someone else to do this? Um, and um, there's plenty of plenty of literature that I can send to anyone if they want to read about it. Then there's the danger of the baby to the moil. Imagine now the moil's getting blood from the baby in, Listen, we live in, a, in, in his a world mouth, of exactly. HIV. We live in HIV, hepatitis, syphilis. So all of us, all of the Moilem at our base den are screened for hepatitis, syphilis, HIV, any blood-borne um, viruses so that we know we're safe for the babies. Then there's actually an extra consent form that the parents have to sign if they want Matitsa Bepair, and that's where the, there's no pipette used. It's still... It's still... Um, the blood is drawn directly into the mouth of the Moil, and he spits that out. Yeah, so it's hard so thing to bizarre, it's bizarre that. to get your head around. I know maybe Completely. maybe we not even if we cut ourselves, you know, even allowed to suck your own yeah, blood. Yeah, yeah. Like, I know that's how strict. I know, is. I know. So the thing is, it's also just obviously just because of the anatomy and all the you know different connotations that are around there. It's a very very difficult thing to get your head around as a moil and especially as a first as a first time parent. But there are communities and in in especially in Israel. And in the more orthodox communities that want, the, you know, they'll say that the moil has to do, do that. Do you ever have that here? Mouth. Yeah, plenty. Would plenty, you plenty. do? It? I did for my own kids. Yeah. And I will for if parents request it, yeah. But the okay. parents have to request it, yeah. It's not my default, but if the parents request it, for sure. Wow. Yeah. So then you have to, there's guidelines, uh, health guidelines that you have to rinse your mouth with uh, Listerine before. Listerine kills 99% of germs. No, I would so, imagine you have to rinse so, your mouth out with yeah, other, so, yeah, other stuff so, afterwards. No, so, yeah, and then you can rinse your mouth out afterwards as well. There's, there's, uh, our guidelines, medical, actual medical research guidelines that Listerine will kill all viruses, Listerine with alcohol will kill all viruses and bacteria in your mouth. 
Um, they've been tested in test tubes with the Listerine. So you should yeah, rinse your mouth with uh, any particular flavor. Can you um, go with the Listerine whitening? I think at you the probably could time? because then you get two benefits uh, from one. But I just wouldn't See. want it to whiten the child. Prismila, the circumcision that just keeps on giving. Yes. Okay, can we move on? Yes. Okay, so those are really the main differences. Yes, those are the main between, differences. Well, that's the pr- that's the halachic procedure. Yeah, of, that's the Jewish procedure of, of bris milah. Okay. All right. So let's talk about the medical procedure. Okay. So of the, circumcision. So when I do, I do a lot of circumcisions for non-Jews as well because um, I don't advertise it because I'm an ENT, but a lot of people um, have come to me a because they they want a Jewish doctor to do it because they kind of figure that or, like, or someone's Jewish to do it. Maybe. Experience, yeah, that you know this is what you do. It's your community. It's what you've done. Um, and um, in South Africa, a, a country with so many different cultures, there are so many se- people seeking cultural circumcision. So um, a lot of um, South African um, people, a lot of North African oh, people. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a rite sure. of passage. Exactly. When you have your, yeah, when yeah. You so a lot, of pa- a lot of parents don't want their children to go to the mountains or to do, you know, to circumcision schools or initiation schools. So they'll have it done by me. They're actually, the be- just as a side point, the best, best time medically to do it is um, before six weeks um, because the child is small. They hardly bleed. They don't notice it much, and they heal super, super fast. And you don't need to use – levels of but yeah, so that, yeah, so that usually there's oh, – is that med- – I mean, obviously, we do it on the eighth day because Hashem told us to do it on the eighth day, but they are all those things that, um, you know, the anecdotes that say people, um, children clot – uh, that clotting factor is the highest on the on the eighth. Day. My midwives actually to- told me that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so there is um, that reason. So I do a lot of African circumcision, a lot of North African, Ugandan, Ghana, from Ghana, Nigerian. You know, we've got a lot of Ethiopians, you get, uh, Sudanese people who are you know in South Africa, and um, then very very interestingly, um, a lot of Afrikaans Christians or Christians who um, want circumcisions because they, you know, follow Abraham and the Bible and also a lot of Muslims. So people we have in our in South Africa. Muslims is 13, right? So it's funny. I've asked them and they've told me that there, there's actually no halakha. I mean, please, if there's any, um, any listening, list, yeah. Muslim listeners or listeners who know, they can correct me Correct me if I'm wrong. But um, there is no halakha of, we need, of who does it, how it's done, and when it's done. Um, I think the Muslim community is more lenient. Some say at birth, some say up until 13, and it can be done by anyone. So I'm not too sure about that, but I always, um, if they do phone me, I say do it, you know, the sooner the better. Um, just for the baby's sake and for your sake, there's no stitches that need to be, when you're doing a newborn circumcision, there's no stitches that need to be used after care is fine. And then you don't have to worry about scarring. Yeah, I really, I really don't enjoy doing it. I will do for... For convert for people who are converting, but I don't enjoy doing them um, on children. You know, you can imagine anything over the age of like two. You know, then they they're very very sad and sensitive, and they don't understand. It's much easier when they older teenagers. You know, they understand what's going on, but uh, when yeah. when they're over two, and you're doing them, um, and they would obviously be in theatre under general anaesthetic. Um, yeah, it's not nice for them post op. All right. So if a uh, all right. I've got so many questions okay. around this. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, so why would somebody who, where it's not a cultural or a religious prescription, where it's not prescribed, yeah, well, it's not why the, would um, they still have a 
a circumcision. Okay, so if you have a foreskin, if a person has a foreskin, there are many diseases that you can get of the foreskin. So let's understand why. Remember I told you there was that membrane that's underneath the foreskin. Yes. Okay. So I if mean, you this must, ma- this must make cleaning. I'm sorry to that. Like, yeah, so it's cool, very, but, so but to make hygiene, it yeah, must be so practically all, impossible. Yeah, so hygiene is very hard. Children, um, the foreskin is not retractable in ya- in newborns and young young children, meaning the head of the penis isn't exposed until some kids three, four, some even older. So you get something that builds up underneath there called smegma, kind of like cottage cheese, like. If the if the word is. Anything like what you're describing. It, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Pretty gross. Anyway, so that smegma can be a, a bed for viruses and bacteria, and children can get and people can get repeated infections. Bacterial infections, some of them are called, um, can cause some called phimosis or paraphimosis, where the foreskin actually get stuck forward, and the treatment for that is circumcision. Or um, it's stuck forward and it's so tight that the child can't uh, urinate and the treatment for that is circumcision. So number one, it eliminates those problems of um, infections, which um, depending on the hygiene of the child or the family, you know, can be more common. Second of all, that mucous membrane, which we said there's an aura prayer underneath, is porous. Now, if you feel that your outside skin on your hand, you know, that's waterproof keratinized skin. If you take your tongue and feel the inside of your mouth, your cheek, that's what that membrane is, right? So you know, well, we know that that membrane is porous, which means that any viruses such as human papillomavirus, which causes cervical cancer and penile cancer, goes through that membrane. Second of all, HIV. You get a massive, massive surface area for the absorption of HIV into the body. So eliminate the foreskin, you cut off that whole membrane, you cut off the outside it turns to outside keratinized skin and now the only area that the virus can penetrate is the small urethral opening where you urinate from so it significantly cuts down the risk of and the surface area H- that yeah, of hiv so it's um some studies i've seen is 70 percent risk uh, reduction and that's why our government is advocating it so much and in health prevention programs and their massive funding from USAID and other American aid organizations to for prevention. Um, it's obviously not 100% um, foolproof, but um, it can be up to 70% reduction in HIV transmission. And the second thing is you can't, uh, penile warts, which is called HPV, human papillomavirus, which causes penile warts and penile cancer. You can't get that if you don't have a foreskin. So you can imagine there's a whole lot of diseases when you have a, a circumcision that now kind of disappear, that if you're circumcised, you won't get penile cancer, you won't get penile warts, and you um, will have a significantly less risk of contracting HIV. And that's besides all the other infections um, and phimosis and paraphimosis that you have. Some of the, some of the arguments against um, circumcision, yes. one the number one argument has to be about, you know, sexual satisfaction yeah. and, you know, that's, that's, those are some of the, yeah. so the comments are, that I've read. Yeah, so there, has been, there have been studies done that that membrane that we keep on talking about has specific nerve endings in it. So if you remove too much of that membrane, you maybe are taking out some of the, the nerve. So it might affect satisfaction but the people i mean i'm not saying whether it's right or wrong but there have been studies that have shown um that there is 
less satisfaction. But the person, the only people who are able to comment that are people, adults who are sexually active, who've had a circumcision pre and post, you know, a newborn who's been circumcised will never know what the difference is. It's interesting because if, if all the nerve endings are in that membrane. So it's not, it's not all of them, but a significant amount. Well, a significant yeah. amount, mm-hmm. right? And while you're doing a breast milan, yes. you are leaving a small amount of yes. that. And as it retracts, as the child grows, yes. those nerve endings are still there. So no, what still difference there. does they're it really make? So I think it's minimal. Personally, in my own opinion, I think it's minimal. But you obviously are going to have the people who say that it's a... A major thing. The the main, main fight for it, and, and we are very lucky in South Africa that we have a pro-circumcision country, uh, you know, people in inverted commas, all the Muslims and African people, and um, who want circumcisions make it, you know, easy for us. There are certain countries um, where circumcision is banned or on the verge of being banned, and first of all, medical circumcision is, I mean, uh, sorry, ritual circumcision is banned. You have to have a doctor doing it. What has to be done only with circum certain um, conditions and a lot of I think. Well, Nor- you would be able to do it because you are a yeah, doctor. Yeah, yeah. So Norway, Norway, and ENTP. S- yes, exactly. Yes, no, no, exactly. <laughs> uh, someone even made me a, a jacket. I'll show you in my car. They embroidered under the collar. I did a brisk for someone, a tailor, and he embroidered under my collar. You know, his throat and penis is under my. <laughs> anybody wants to come check under my collar and express, um, but there are certain countries, especially Scandinavian countries very, very violently against circumcision. And they've created all these uh, I've seen characters called Monster Moil and You Stole My Foreskin and, you know. Okay, so this is where some of these, um, these are campaigns to you're have your, massive, your massive, circumcision you reversed, which I cannot think of anything know, more painful. Yeah, I don't know how they can reverse it, but there were people even in the and time. And was it not bad the, enough the first time? Yeah, there were even people <laughs> at the time of the uh, time of the temples that used to use these like stretching things to try and oh, at the Roman right, the, baths. It was introduced to, by the Greeks, I think. To, yeah, to look that their circumcisions were back, to kind of stretch it back so that when they were in the bathhouses and that it looked like they'd been... Um, so it's a real thing. Yeah, and here people try to do that again and... There's people who sued their parents for taking it away from him. You know, a lot of people say that, you know, the, what, how do the parents, how can they decide for the child, you know, what's best for the child when they're born? You're taking away their autonomy and you're mutilating them. You're right. You should let babies get their own bottles at 3 a.m. Exactly. So I was about to say, well, then are you going to let the children decide whether they're going to go to school or not or whether well, they want to wear summer or winter clothes or not or what they want to take their medicine or not? Um you know, so that's a whole, you can see where I'm leaning with regards to that, but uh, that's a whole discussion as well. But there's a massive, massive anti-circumcision movement um, in America and Europe and especially the Scandinavian countries, yeah. If you've got any questions about circumcision, we are having an open and frank discussion. Just, uh, you know, I can see that it's just the tip of the iceberg that I'm starting to understand, or the tip of, you know. Yes. <laughs> if you want to get in touch, this is how you do it. You can send me an SMS, 34519. Those SMSs are charged at 1 Rand 50. You can email on air at chaifm.com. Uh, you can also send a telegram on 061-895-1019. This is the Discam Medical Monday. My name is Kathy Kayla, and my guest is ENT. P, uh, Dr. Dean Gerson. We're talking about circumcision. We're talking about the difference between circumcision and Brit Mila. And uh, any questions that you've got, don't be shy. Just send it right on through it. If you if you don't want me to mention your name, don't sign a name. All right. Um, what would be the other arguments for? I mean, how, firstly, 
how would they undo a circumcision? So you can't really undo it. You can try to stretch the skin that was that was left there. I've never heard of people being so drastic as to have like a skin graft, but I guess in theory you could have extra skin added. But I think you are stretching. I don't know. I don't know. People are mad out there. Um, and they will do that because um, they feel that you have stolen their choice and their option of of taking it away, and they don't want you to bring the medical facts and they don't want you to bring your religious facts. But um, that's uh, that's what people do. What makes you aside religious religiosity and spirituality yes. aside? You clearly are a supporter of circumcision. Yeah, well, I've just seen the I've seen I've seen men having their penis amputated. It's actually quite a funny story. If I'm that asked. doesn't the, sound funny at all. Okay, well, sorry, that's not that funny. That what the poor guy. But I'll tell you, I had a very religious Muslim girl as my clinical partner, and we had to do a urinary catheterization. Uh, you know, we had to learn to put in urinary catheters in our urology block in fifth year. And this uh, girl, you know, wearing a full headscarf and burqa goes and uh, she said, she comes back to me and she says, Dean, I don't mean to be funny, but um, I can't find, I need to do a catheter on this guy and I can't find his penis. So I'm like thinking, oh, she's a you know, Muslim girl, she's obviously, you know. She's shy. Shy, yeah, she's like, just wants to help. So anyway, I come with her to the guy and I say, okay, let's have a look. And the guy pulls down his pants and he's got no penis. He really doesn't have a penis. So... <laughs> So what happened was he had um, these warts which turned into cancer and he had his penis amputated. So I promise you now if I show that to any man who's against, uh, if I could guarantee that you don't get penile cancer or penile warts by circumcision and you saw that this poor man, um, you know, had no penis. and um, just took his quality life and you yeah, just and, and took what, away 70% of it. And look what it and what it looks like, you know. Besides the sexual problems, the urinating mm. problems, the emotional problems, yeah. it's a massive, massive problem. And if I showed an identity, you, yeah, if I showed you pictures of him before and after, I promise you now you would run to have a circumcision. So that's I feel I've seen the medical facts, I've seen the articles, I've seen all the diseases, I've seen the dirtiest of the dirty, unfortunately, and um, had to deal with them. That's why I never did urology because thank God I mainly see clean. Young boys who, you know, born that have never little had baby, infections, yeah. little babies. And I love doing them because, thank God, it's a time of, of simcha and joy for the parents, um, Jewish or non-Jewish, and um, enjoy chatting to the parents and um, meeting them, discussing circumcision and um, what it means to us, whether it's a religious or a medical thing and why they do it. I always ask them when they come in, why, are you, why have you chosen this? Why are you doing it? Can you operate on somebody who has an STD? Can you do a circumcision you, on somebody who's got an STD? What, like like what? you said, like herpes or... Yeah, you can. I mean... Are I, you not worried about yourself? Well, that's... I mean, working in, in any um, medicine, that's a big, big problem. That's why you use, you know, gloves. I mean, I have been on antiretrovirals two or three times. That was when I was an intern. You know, you prick yourself with needles when taking blood, when giving injections, when stitching. So, I mean, that, that's the risk, unfortunately, especially in this country, especially when you work in government. It's a massive, massive risk that people don't realize. Is a do, you no, because you're just talking volumes. You're talking yeah, volumes yeah, of you, you basically assume that everyone has HIV. Anyone, anyone you work on, you assume that, you, uh, that they have HIV. So you work as a, you know, with those as proportions. As a doctor, that, that, yeah. that would be like the, the standard, right? Yeah, so you wear gloves, eye protection, mask. So that uh, none of the blood yeah, splashes on you. What have you learned about the penis that is fascinating? Um, what have I learned that's fascinating? That's 
everyone. I mean, I'm, I'm completely fascinated everyone has by a this whole conversation. Everyone has a different size and everyone has a different size and shape. Um, everyone has a different size and shape. Everybody heals differently. Um, it's interesting what you said about babies. That babies don't need stitches. That babies yeah, so, so under six months. You said six well, weeks. Six weeks. So six, six weeks. weeks is ideal. Um, I, I do a few things when I'm um, breasting or circumcising a baby. The first thing is I give them sugar, hard dose, pure sucrose, and that has been shown medically to dissociate the babies almost like a, an opiate or morphine. Um, so they're flying around the room. They don't know where they are. That plus the wine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I actually give the sugar no wine because it's the sugar that you can give grape juice, but that sugar is much more effective than the wine or, or the grape juice. So you give that sucrose just a little bit before. And um, then, oh, we haven't come on to anesthetic or we haven't spoken about uh, Yeah, we're going to talk about anesthetic. Yeah, so, so then um, depends. Um, also, another controversial subject. Okay. Um, our... There is obviously a risk of have we talking about newborns here. So the anesthetic would be to a topical, which is would be a cream like Emla cream. Have you heard of Emla cream? No, you get those Emla patches yeah, if you yeah, need, a, if yeah, you need yeah. an injection. So, you put or Emla, so Emla cream or injectable um, anesthetic. Our postgame rabbis felt that there is a significant risk added by injecting local anesthetic because if it does go, God forbid, into a vein or a vein or a blood vessel, there is um, added risk. So they couldn't justify that risk. Of, of permitting it. If you do use the anesthetic, the breast is still kosher. It doesn't invalidate. But our, as a general rule, and as our Bethden, um, and most Orthodox, um, Moilem will not use, um, local anesthetic. If there are certain risks, like I've had children with, um, cardiac, with heart problems before, and the doctor said if the child feels the pain or cries too much or that it's, you know, they're going to, um, it's going to be very bad for the heart. Or for other diseases, then for sure you can use um, anesthetic. You just have to get, you know, discuss it with your your rabbi, or I'll discuss it with the best then before I do anything like that. But, but how will you know? Because some of these things you only know afterwards. So, well, yeah, obviously if you don't know, but the, generally the pediatrician's checked out the baby at uh, birth, and I'll do my own checkup on the baby before um, I do anything. And but there are certain things that you that you're not going to be able to know. I mean, we. I did an interview a few yeah, weeks I heard, ago. Yeah, I very close friends of mine. Yeah. Yeah, with a, with a couple. Um, in fact, it was the gran who was here. Yeah. Her grandson had hemophilia. Had, yeah. Has hemophilia. Has yeah. hemophilia. Yeah. There's, there's no history of hemophilia in the entire family. No, no, that's and a, that's um, they discovered it. Yeah, and they discovered it at the breast milah. Mm. And there was no way. First of, child. Yeah, and there was no way of picking it up before. Yeah. Scary. I mean, why so would I think you even test? For no, you wouldn't. you wouldn't. Uh, and and since then, so many people have asked me afterwards, "Can we test? Can we test? Can we?" And I tell them it's not necessary because it's such a rare chance. And some people have been so anxious about it. That I said, "Fine, if you really want to, you can test. You know, you if you." What? Uh, okay, so the test does come back. You know, positive. Positive. Then you can. What do you do differently? So you do, still do you, a breast. You would do a breast, but you would do it um, probably in a hospital and controlled conditions with fact. You know, they would give the child clotting factor in a drip while you're doing it, so that they would clot. No, interesting. Can I tell you a sad story about halacha and hemophilia? Yes. So the Gemara speaks about halacha being Jewish law. Sorry, Jewish law. That's okay. Okay, <laughs> and and it even comes brought down in our Jewish law that if two babies have died from a bris, and this was mainly because of hemophilia, you don't bris the third baby. Okay, so two brothers have died, God forbid, and it has. You can imagine hundreds of thousands of years ago where they didn't have all these medical tests or life-saving treatments. The children unfortunately bled out. You do. 
you know that there is um you know that there is 80 mils per kilogram of blood in a child in a newborn okay. meaning that you have 250 mils of blood that's like less than a can of coke inside the that's terrifying. The child so i mean if that a glass they bleed out a glass and that's a, you know me and you could bleed out a glass and I know the difference. That's how much you, more than, less than what you can donate. Oh, exactly. So there's something called, um, so t- two babies, two brothers have died from their bris miller. You don't bris the third. So have you heard of, do you know what a chazaka is in Jewish law? Chazaka. I do, but what, you explain it. So I'm trying to think of what the best, um, if, if you take on a mitzvah. If you take on something three times, it becomes, um. It's not just something, it's a mitzvah. If you well, take on a mitzvah, you are not, it can the be third time. Yeah, so if you take, yeah, so three then times, it means either habitual or um, I'm just trying to think of a better translation. Anyone can maybe SMS through or WhatsApp through a, a translation. So a chazaka is when you do something three times, that becomes your way of doing things. Becomes and your you, tradition, and you become, Yeah, you come to your tradition. You're obligated in it. For yeah. pukach nefesh, for saving life, we make a chazaka on two, meaning we don't wait for the third brother to. And then we say, oh, none of these boys can be brist because they have a bleeding disorder. When t- halakhically two boys have been brist and That's they've amazing. died from their breast, then we make the chazaka to fubukach nefesh. And this really happened. Now, I get a call a few years ago from a certain rabbi to say that um, he's got a, a congregant in his 90s who was never brist, that his two brothers in Lithuania died from their circumcision, so they never ever breast the third brother. Now, when you get to the the halach is that when the child's old enough and healthy enough, so around 13 or an adult, then you can breast them, and you can breast them because then they can afford to lose a liter of you know a liter of blood without um, without being without, yeah, yeah without being jeopardy. So, but this this um, person war broke the Second World War broke out then, and you can imagine the conditions in um, pre and post-war Europe sure. that he never got around to he never he never ever had it because his his brothers died and now here he was on his deathbed and he requested from the rabbi that he gets breast before he he gets before, he before well before he gets buried okay wow. because he was on his deathbed I think if we would have we wouldn't have breast him if I was going to put him in the danger on That's his amazing, deathbed no? so I went to West Park Cemetery and when they did the tahara the washing of him we did a circumcision and we buried his um we buried his foreskin with him and um amazing and uh, that was yeah his breast there's a whole another so interesting i mean th- there's there's a very very sad situation where i heard that um babies who are born stillborn yes unfortunately if they do they have to still, be breast you still breast them and name them before the burial it's a heartbreaking horrible thing for especially the parents and the family I and for myself and else. for myself as well it's horrendous. Um, yeah, that's all I can say about it. It's ter- absolutely okay. terrible. Joe is listening. Joe says, very interesting topic. Thanks, Joe. I think so too. You're absolutely fascinating, Dean. Um, does the mohel also suck the blood of adults having a circumcision or is this great not quest- risky? Great, great, great I love question. that. Great okay, question. So, so you've got so a situation you, so where there's a convert. Yes. Right. What happens if, if yes. the person's already brisked? Okay, so if the person's already breast, circumcised, yeah. So let's, let's let's talk about those two situations. If a person's already breast and they've had enough, he, well, not breast. He's already been circumcised by someone else. And remember, I told you that a certain amount has to be taken off. 
for it to be a kosher bris. Right. Then what we do for the convert is before they go to mikveh, you do a symbolic circumcision, which is called a hatafat ambrit, where you prick the penis with a needle and you draw blood from it. And drawing of that blood is is symbolic of the circum- How circumcision. How much blood? Just a, a it drop, doesn't matter. A drop, a pinprick. That's it. A tiny bit of blood, as long as there's blood from the circumcision. If the person has either not been circumcised or they've had a circumcision and not enough has been taken off, then you can't, then you have to redo the circumcision. And then, yes, the blood needs to be drawn from the adults. I'll tell you the first time I wasn't, I was a bit flustered. It was my first time doing a, a conversion for, it was a 13 year old boy and it was in theater. And then the rabbi from the bathroom said to him, he said, what about Matitza? What about sucking the blood? And now there's like this non-Jewish nurse there. And I'm like, you can understandable that you're not going to do it with your, with your mouth for and a, you can't do it for, yeah and, and it's in a sterile procedure and it's in theater so what they did was they passed me a big syringe like a 50 mil syringe and we turned it upside down to make like a pipette and we put it over and then we drew blood into that um oh, that's, with this that with makes the syringe yeah and i explained it to the nurse that it's kind of like bloodletting but yes it still needs to happen on an adult um so interesting. So interesting. Thanks, Josh. Okay. He's, he's sent through a lot of questions. Okay. Okay. So, um, do mammals like cattle have a foreskin? No, Great question. No idea. Good, good question. I don't think so. I'm not sure. I'll ask my cousin who's a vet. Okay. And then Josh also wants to know, does a foreskin serve any purpose? An appendix doesn't. Um, so. Great question. Thanks, so Josh. So I don't think medically it serves any purpose. No. Um, obviously from a, I don't think it does. I don't think it's protective at all. I think it's actually more of like a hindrance. But if anyone can, I'm happy to be corrected, but I don't think so. But we know that it's our partnering with Hashem in creation to perfect a person. And Hashem makes us imperfect. And then we partner with Hashem in, uh, you know, in doing this mitzvah to perfect uh, creation. Someone asked me, how does a woman do that then? If we partnering with Hashem in creation. So that the woman gives birth, that her... Um, what do we, we all want to emulate Hashem in this world and what's the way that we can emulate Hashem is by partnering with Him to create people. So women part, you know, there's three people, it's, the husband gives a sperm, the woman gives the egg and Hashem gives the neshama. And by the woman, woman partners with Hashem to give that, um, to give birth to that child and a man does by a brismila that he takes off that, uh, orlo or the, the foreskin and that's how he partners with Hashem. Absolutely, absolutely fascinating. If you want to get uh, your questions in, now would be the time. We've got a few more minutes on this Diskem Medical Monday. We've been talking about circumcision, um, Brit Mila. If you've got any questions, you can hear it. It's a very open, frank discussion. And my guest is Dr. Dean Gerson. He is an ENTP. Ears, nose, throat, and penis. You <laughs> <laughs> love that. I do, because so, it really is what you do with all those. Yeah, the, so it's so funny. A lot of people, you can imagine a lot of um, people in our community know that I'm ENT, but I'm a male. But you can imagine people arrive at my rooms and they don't know I'm an ENT and they see the certificates on my wall and they're like, um, we're here for a <laughs> circumcision. <laughs> you know, we're at the right, the right place. Um, but yeah, just to tell you, a lot of, a lot of people, I will do anything to help parents have a kosher breast. It's an extremely sensitive topic. It's an extremely, um, especially in mixed marriages, where the mother's Jewish and the father's not Jewish and the father's apprehensive, I heard, 
countless amounts of parents. Listen, it can work the other way as well. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not uh, where the mother who's Jewish is, is uh, apprehensive. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I thought you meant doing a yeah, bre- yeah, yeah, yeah. We wouldn't do a breast then for a mother who's not Jewish and a father who's Jewish. Just on a yeah, yeah, yeah. On a side note, because the we know that Jew, um, Judaism passed along by the mother, but they come and they sit on the couch in my house, or they come to my rooms, and we have a long discussion. About Brismila and about circumcision, about safety, and I always tell them, I'll do it however you want me to do it, I'm, as long as it's in the halachic, you know, ramifications. I mean, the halachic, uh, I don't know, spectrum. I've done the bris in hospital before, I've done it in my rooms before, I've done it in people's bedrooms before, I've done it on the mother's bed before, I've done it in a roof of a hotel, I've done it in a restaurant, you know, in. Dubai on a beach before after have, you know have scalpel will travel. Well, have, if you look in my if you look in my wallet, <laughs> there's always a scalpel and a shield. So I'm very very chilled. I just and if there's anyone listening who's scared or petrified, I will answer any of your questions, no charge. Um, and I'll, to make sure any Jewish boy has a bris, I'll go to you know the ends of the earth and um, do it however is comfortable for you. You know, it's a very very scary time, huge anxiety, the unknown. You're handing over this precious newborn sure. to someone to be. Almost like as a sacrifice, um, very very scary. And well, that is what it is. And but but, I think it was uh, it was a few years ago. I was actually at a bris, and it just you know when you get those moments of profound clarity. Yes. I looked around me, and even though it was not, it wasn't that that long ago. Um, I looked around and I thought, here we are as a people doing the same thing that we have been doing for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, the same way that we're doing it. Um, And I also heard something else, that at the baby's first cry, the gates of heaven open. Yes, so a lot of people, um, obviously, a lot of people, especially in Hasidic communities, will, you know, they like when the baby cries so that they will... No, because you're fulfilling something ancient. No, that they will dive in. I am... even though that's true, obviously we don't cause the baby extra pain so that they, no, they no, no. cry a lot and um, we try and minimize it. But for sure, it's a very important time to dive in when the baby is, when the baby is crying. Yeah. Um, it's been absolutely incredible. I think you've taught me so much. Sure. Thank you Thank so you. much. Pleasure. Dr. Dean Gerson. All right, with that, it's, this is, I think, how we get. I just want to just check messages uh, very, very quickly. And... Uh, if anybody wants to phone me with pleasure with their brisk questions, I'm saying from a, um, if they want to, if they're okay, scared, so how, if they're how having do we get a, hold of you? Yeah, Where are your okay. rooms? So my rooms are at uh, Netcare Linksfield Hospital. Oh, easy. Okay. So that's all yeah. you have to so do. So you can either Linksfield or you can Google me. Dean Gerson will, will come up or Dean Gerson ENT. And, my and go e- look out for his videos. Yeah, I was actually watching a series on, it was a, it was a global TV series on the, all the different emergency rooms around, in hospitals around the world. And here they came and they did one at the Charlotte Mateke uh, emergency rooms. Yeah, it was in 2010 as, a, as an intern. And at there British you Kruger. were. Yeah. It's like you get around. Yeah, I was an, an intern <laughs> in trauma, I think, in, in, in 2010. In the trauma. That's yeah. And if anyone wants to email me, it's deangerson at gmail.com, D-E-A-N-G-E-R-S-U-N. Gerson, G- yeah, not S- Gerson. S-U-N, yeah, at uh, gmail.com. I'm always available. For your breast questions, my aim is to get, you know, people breast your way and um, to make you feel comfortable. But not only breasts, right? Circumcisions. Circumcisions, you're more than welcome to, to send through. Um, Any questions. To send yeah. through as well. Um, and my room's number is 485-0070.
Dr. Dean Gerson, thank you very much. Thanks again for the having me. The only ENTP that I've ever interviewed. Yeah, I don't. I'm just. Try, well, I don't know if there's any any others. Good question. <laughs> and to you, thank you and so thank much. Thank you for having me, Kathy. Oh, thank you it's a that's pleasure. Nice. It's a great pleasure. Come back. I will. Sure, we can talk in, maybe ENT next time. <laughs> and uh, to you, have a wonderful, wonderful week. Stay safe. Stay uh, healthy. God bless, and I'll see you same ta- same place, same time next week. Bye.